Hello, hello. Welcome to Ami Tuckered Out. I am Ami Tucker Ravel, your host, and I am with Nizar. Yay! My co host, producer, editor all things that make you sound good. How are you? You sound like you're exhausted from talking with me. Uh, no, I'm not exhausted. I I mean, the podcast is, of course, my passion and I consider it my career and job, but I also did start a new gig this week. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Tell very about excited. That. So I am director of growth for the House of Songs here in Bentonville and based in Austin. Um, it is a nonprofit that works with artists. Uh, it's a residency program for artists um, that are based here around the yeah. U.S. and internationally. And um, I just joined last week, and it is phenomenal. I'm very excited about it. Nice. Yeah. So I knew when I got the position that this was perfect for me. But don't worry. Yeah. The podcast shall continue no matter what. This is just an extra an additional passion of mine when it comes to music. So very excited. You about have to it. do a little less with the kids, meaning like you just don't drive them around. You just have the four-year-old drive the other one around. Yeah. Anya actually just got her license because in, cool. in the Ozarks, that's what they do here. So yeah. I'm going to start just rumors. Can I, can I ask you something? Yeah. What does it feel like? to hold a paycheck after oh my so god long. it's amazing i mean it's gonna happen with a podcast too i have no fear <laughs> yeah. but um it is nice you know and not that barth has ever cared about me making money or uh, it's more it's been more my thing i called my mom today to get her blessings because you know we're a nice indian family and that's what we do yeah so i told my mom i got my paycheck and i did the buggy log over the phone yeah <laughs> and she's like good job finally I was like, thanks, mom. <laughs> yeah, thanks words for, of encouragement. Thanks, thanks for helping me pay for undergrad and grad school, and I haven't practiced law in 10 years. Thanks. No, they, they were quite happy. And Bart, Bart was like, dude, as long as you're happy, just you know, go skateboarding. Just do whatever yeah. you want. Just, I mean, yeah. he should say that. He made me move five times, so it's fine. Yeah. So Nazar and I had, when we launched last year, we were actually thinking the first episode should be about dating and relationships and marriage mm-hmm. and divorce and all that insane fun stuff. And that was going to be, I think, our first talk. And, and we kind of pushed it to later. And then Versha entered into our lives uh, a couple yeah. weeks ago and said, hey, I'm a coach. Uh, I, I This is what I do. Talk about dating and relationships and marriage. So let's make this happen. And Nazar and I were like, this is not even a question. We're, we're doing this. But yeah, so Versha Mathur is our guest today. And uh, she's part of Knowing Lux is her company. Uh, but tell me a little bit about her and then I'll tell you because she's been featured other places as well. Yeah, so she's a coach and entrepreneur. And before becoming a coach, she owned a management company and practiced law, like a lot of mm-hmm. us do, uh, in the areas of mediation and real estate. And as a South Asian woman and having gone through divorce, she uses her personal story to talk about love and remarriage. So it's pretty cool because we really do need people like her out there talking about this stuff. Yeah, and she does a lot. I mean, the the program that she's created, um, I'm sure she'll talk about how it's kind of changed since she started it. She does a lot of speaking events and workshops, and her goals tend to be it's about planning and understanding how your life it doesn't always have to be that you're doing something wrong. Sometimes it's just circumstantial and the things that are going around you. But how can you be, how can you adapt and how can you be prepared for those things? And uh, I think that's a great way to go. She's been featured on a lot of things. Uh, we in the community, we know the Dill Mill dating app, but she's done uh, blog featurettes for them. Tinted is something else she's been a part of as an ambassador. 
and she's also been on other shows as well like insatiable so she's she's definitely got um a lot of pedigree i think yeah. going into uh, creating her own business and she also happens to be a great person just to talk to you so i'm i'm, mm-hmm. I'm excited to connect with her uh for the podcast and yeah. Hey, you know, I think everyone needs coaching, so I might, I might have to call her up. Yeah. So hang out. We'll be right back with our talk with Varsha Mathur of Knowing Lux. Hey, Varsha. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Of I'm course. looking forward to this. Yeah. Nazar and I were talking about the topic of dating and relationships and divorce and marriage and all that stuff. That was kind of our, when we first started last year, right, Nazar, we were talking about mm-hmm. doing this. We, yeah, we wanted dating and relationships to be a big part of the show only because we should be a lot happier in our relationships. Divorce happens, dating happens, and uh, why not discuss those things uh, intimately? And so, uh, and then you actually reached out to us not too long ago. Um, so we appreciated that. And we, we, talked a little bit and we're like this is definitely worth it so no. thanks for being available yeah you're the perfect person to start this topic and i'm sure we're gonna revisit this yeah. so let's just talk about your background tell us a little bit more about your childhood and, and growing up here yeah um born in new york grew up in maryland i'm one of four kids and my parents uh, lived in a really rural town in southern maryland where uh, there weren't a lot of South Asians at all, but uh, between me and my siblings, we were very tight and uh, made friends. And when you live in a rural community, you don't even realize you're that different. You kind of grow up seeing what you see and kind of assuming you're that. It wasn't really until I was well into my teenage years and even into college that I realized there was such a big culture of South Asians in the United States. So that was kind of fun, like learning that as I grew up. Yeah, I think also as children, we kind of don't even think about it, right? Exactly. You really don't. And I have a really big family. A lot of uh, my family immigrated kind of early. So weekends were just spent with them and I didn't really need to find friends um, because our culture was sort of built in. Yeah, totally. So then did you grow up in a typical conservative South Asian household? Yes and no, because my mom pretty much grew up here in the States. She came when she was three years old, and her siblings and a lot of her cousins grew up here too. But what is kind of interesting, what I talk a lot about with people is that my grandfather brought the 1950s India that he remembered with him and raised his daughters that way, and my my parents and my aunts kind of learned that culture. And while India progressed and became more... um, modern and I guess you could say westernized, my family was even more traditional than some of the people that have now come from India. Yeah. I feel like honestly, and Nazar, you can you can tell me your point of view, but I feel like that happened with most of our parents that immigrated here. They they held on to it, our culture and our rituals and a lot more than even my entire family in India because, you know, they separated, so they had to hold on to something even tighter. So right. I, I get that. I mean, that's kind of... Yeah, your view of home and your home country doesn't kind of uh, evolve the same way it does back home. And so all you have left is that portrait that you bring with you, and you kind of try to uh, attain that with your family here, while also trying to have your kids become one with the new culture 
No, totally. So, so you grew up with a with a large extended family around you as well, right? Yeah, my grandparents, my grandmother had 10 brothers and sisters, all of whom came to the U.S. in the 60s, 70s. And now we're talking like four generations of people all over the country. That's wow. awesome. So yeah. you, had, you, you, had your, you had your family bubble to, to kind of have that India feel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. So yeah. then boys, sex, dating. Yeah. I how, mean, was that, how was that, all that approached growing up? It wasn't approached. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of knew the answer. Exactly. I just had to ask. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, if it came up because something embarrassing happens or, you know, I think one time one of my friends said something about a crush in front of my mom and then she kind of had a conversation about it with me privately. And um, they were always supportive and understanding. And I think even more so because my mom had grown up here, but still had an arranged marriage uh, back in India. So she was kind of like, I know where you're coming from, but her life was um, pretty much decided for her in a lot of ways. But I mean, I never felt like I couldn't go to my parents for the really extreme stuff. But yeah, I mean, most of dating, relationships, sex, all of that was between me and my sisters, my friends, my cousins, the close ones anyways. So how did that conversation with your mother go when she's trying to discuss crushes with you? Was it from an early age? Were they kind of prepping you for the, it, your marriage will be arranged? Like we are looking, we're, we'll be handling those things? No, it wasn't about arranged marriage as much as, you know, focus on studies. This isn't the time, that kind of thing. It, yeah. it was like, you know, from ages, you know, from birth to like, 22 let's not talk about anything let's not even right. mention it whatever and then 22 23 is like okay time to get married figure it out i wanted to gauge as well for because my family's the same way yeah i yeah. think that's a common story among all of us <laughs> and i was more of a rebel so i think i took my experiences uh in my own like under my own control early on but a lot of my coaching clients feel that pressure all of a sudden. They were, you know, good kids. They listened to their parents. They studied and worked really hard. Now, all of a sudden, they're expected to find husbands or wives, and they don't understand how to date or feel comfortable yeah, with the opposite sex. Never, it's really tough. Never talked about, and like you said, went through these topics with friends, really, because I had an older brother, and there's no way in hell he's going to talk, talk to me about it. So it was through friends and peers that you really learn. Yeah. And of course, you know, shows like Growing Pains or, or whatever. <laughs> so then were you dating growing up? Any, I mean, in college, school, yes. College, in college, okay. yes. In high school, it was kind of like that weird, you know, nothing really happens. Um, mm. And I was shy, and I was pretty conservative in my views compared to my friends. But um, you know, by the time I was in college, it wasn't something I talked about openly with my parents, probably until the end of college, where yeah. it was like, well, I could bring this guy home and to some special event and see what my parents have to say about it. Yeah. And they were cool with it. Like they understood they weren't stupid, but it also was just like Versha's friend. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> if you're, especially if you're bringing them to an event, it's always your friend. Yeah. Yeah. It was were never you dating like, uh, South Asian guys or was I, it? Yeah. In the mix? beginning, yes. It's a, was that to more to make your parents happy? Because I'm sure that was part of our psyche, right? You know, because in college, I just realized, I, I, I don't even know if it was a realization or just exposure. And I was like, oh, these people are similar. Like I, I learned that this culture existed where, you know, this third culture that we I call it the Indian American yes. um, culture. I met all these people who just got it. Yeah. And right. that, was, that was fun for me. So I did enjoy meeting people like myself. 
So we had the exact same story. I, I kind of got to UT and I was like, oh my God, brown people are yep. everywhere. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And did the same thing. I was like, I brought a boy home at the end of college at an event as a friend. So yeah, I, so I feel like this is a common Indian girl <laughs> story. Yeah, I guess was so. There, was there a, a transition point where then you did become more comfortable? Your parents were, were more comfortable talking about things like that? I don't think it was ever comfortable. <laughs> um, I think it was more like, okay, where's this going? What's happening? And I'd always have to like push them back and say, no, it's not about marriage. We're just getting to know each exactly. other. Dating is not, doesn't have to be just straight to marriage. And they, they got it. They just always wanted to make sure we were healthy and safe and, you know, that kind of thing. Well, now that I'm a parent, I might be turning into an auntie kind of. So <laughs> I'm understanding a little bit more, obviously not, not to that extreme, but anyways, so then you got married. Um, can you tell me more about about that? Was it uh, a boy you were dating, arranged marriage? Yeah, no, it wasn't anybody that I met um, through college or anything like that. I was um, I had finished law school and I was working, and I met a guy on Shadi.com, which I kind of joined because my parents encouraged me to. I was twenty seven, and that now to me sounds so young. But at that time, it was like, what's your plan, you know? And yeah. I, I don't remember if I was dating someone or not, but they were definitely encouraging me to use this website. And at that time, um, this is like early 2000s, um, there weren't other sites to use. Shadi.com was like really the only one that they yeah. knew of, like, like your parents had at least heard of. Right. That was the so, big one. That mm -hmm. was what everyone was on. Yeah. So I met this guy and uh, he was a charmer. He was a... Uh, um, he was, he had grown up in India and come here for like higher education, was working here. And, uh, it was like a whirlwind. It was like within six months we were engaged. It wow. was wow. super, super fast. Did you guys and live close to one another? No, or? lived far away. Lots of red flags looking back as to sort of how things went wrong. But, do you uh, mind, do you mind talking about some of the red flags? Yeah, red flags like uh, he was very um, eager to move to where I was. I had a um, pretty stable job and he was in an industry that went down when it when the uh, market crashed back in like 08, yeah. uh, 06. And um, so he was really eager to move to Connecticut where I was at the time. And uh, I was cool with that. I was just very swept off my feet by this like charming person. I... Uh, I had low self-esteem, even though when I look back, I'm like, wow, I was a lawyer. I had passed the bar, I think at that stage, maybe twice, but I definitely once. And I couldn't believe that this was happening. Like, yay, he was handsome and it was fun and everything was great. And I was at the right age. Like this next relationship was going to lead to marriage. Why not? You know? So, um, yeah, I think him moving and just kind of wanting to do things so quickly, I was, I was okay with waiting a full year of engagement. And he was like, no, which I is normal, the by fall. the way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. But, um, you know, looking back, he was just ready to like get married. And um, it wasn't a citizenship thing. It wasn't, a, you know, I need money thing. It was nothing like that. It was just um, he was super eager and I, I didn't uh, slow it down for my own comfort. I really quickly wanted to ask you the insecurity. Mm -hmm. uh, I hear that a lot. I was the exact age and exact feeling uh, as you, uh, insecure, 27, same kind of situation. Why do you think that is with South Asian girls? Do you think it is because we grew up not talking about this stuff? 
I should say, sorry, I shouldn't say South Asian girls, South Asians, South Asian men as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I can only speak to what I've experienced as a woman, but absolutely men, I'm sure, are experiencing the same thing. Part of it is definitely the fact that it hasn't been spoken about dating and relationships, but also in my family, getting educated was a really big deal, but I don't think that it was praised as highly as or I guess it was praised in the same amount as the discussion about getting married. And so I wish it had been like all about my career and the accomplish accomplishments I had made and how that was sufficient. But the fact that there was always the next step that I had to be taking. And my parents actually are not pushy at all. Um, they're super chill. Like they're like the cool kid kind of parents. Um, but I put that pressure on myself, I think, just because this is the society that you're seeing. These are the other uh, people that you're, you know, other cousins, friends of your parents. They're all getting married at the same time. And so, you know, at a time when I could have been really, really focusing on the fact that I was now a lawyer, that's a pretty big deal. I was now thinking, oh, my gosh, I have to get married. Yeah. And there's a that's a big issue as a that's a big cultural issue. Yeah, I think we're talking about culture, but we have to also remember that if you're not talking about boyfriends and dating with your mom or your aunts or even your dads, whatever, at 16, 17 years old, when you're 27 and that hits, all issues about the way you look, all of those things are hitting a little bit later in life. And I think that's what happened with me too, is all of a sudden at 27, when I'm an adult, I'm a successful career person, I'm thinking about my weight and my hair yep. color and, you know, nonsense now looking stuff, back. Stuff that could have been kind of talked about and nurtured earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And and I feel kind of bad saying all of that stuff because I come from nurturing great parents, but they also come from a, a culture that couldn't, um, couldn't support that or didn't teach them to support that. No, I totally, I don't, same, I don't blame our South Asian parents is just kind of our, the way they were raised as well. So right. they were doing the best they could, right? Mm -hmm. So six months, mm -hmm. got married. So six months we were engaged and then another six months later we were married. And then, I mean, it was like the best wedding I've ever seen to this day. It was, it was like fairy tale wedding. Um, I feel guilty when I say that because my current husband, uh, <laughs> he, he loved our wedding too and I loved it too. It was like yes, the best yes. thing in the world, but... That was the fairy tale wedding. And um, so, but the, you know, again, even that day, looking back, I remember that day going to the Mundup, I was like having these doubts, but you don't back out when you're so vested. You know, the invitations were out, the people are sitting right outside. What, what sort of reservations? It's so hard to explain what it is, but we, so my ex-husband had moved uh, to where I was living and we got a court marriage. So my parents would agree to us living together while we were figuring out the wedding and stuff. And we were fighting. I mean, we were like fighting like you did with your college boyfriend who just wasn't right, but you were together because you were in the fr same friend circle. You know, I mean, that kind of nonsense fighting that nonsense fighting, a healthy yeah. relationship doesn't have. Healthy relationships have fights, but not the kind that make you cry and throw things. You know, that sort of thing was happening in the engagement stages and I kept thinking oh but when we get married it'll get better when he moves here it'll get better when we um whatever next step next step it'll get better so it's just the stress of the marriage it's the stress of the move all of these things are how you brush it off so it just kind of snowballed yeah and then once you're in it 
Mary, in, in in planning a wedding, like you said, mm-hmm. and in walking down to the mandap, you can't walk away. Right. So then he got married. So then we got married and the fights didn't stop. There were a lot of um, just life things that happened that created even more stress. And finally, when, you know, fight after fight, it was like, oh, I'll change, I'll change. And he didn't change. Finally, I was like, no, I need to, I need to cut the strings and, and move out. And luckily by then we were actually living in the same town as my parents. So, I mean, I, I really, really... I'm so blessed that I had a place to escape to because so many women don't. Did your parents know that this was kind of happening or were they completely They did, taken? yeah, because there had been a couple of fights where it was like I had to escape and I would go to my parents' home. And even my – at some point, even my dad would say stuff like, don't speak to my daughter like that. I mean, they were on to what was happening in our household, you know. Yeah. And so it wasn't a huge surprise. And it was really the encouragement of like my sisters to say – like, you don't have to live like this, that I was finally having the strength to leave. How many months or how many years? How long was it after Three years. the marriage? Three, Three years. years, yeah. Have, have any of your sisters gone through anything similar like that? Thankfully, no. Okay. I hope to God they don't have to experience that. But I also yeah. hope that they will be strong enough to leave if they do. Exactly. So I have to ask, was your ex being uh, Indian from India part of the issue, just a completely the differences between Indian Americans and Indian Indians? Yeah, I mean, I hate to say yes, because you can't, I don't want to be too stereotypical and people grow up with different backgrounds, even within India, that might be more comp- like more compatible to someone who grew up like me. So I don't want to put a blanket statement that that's always going to be an issue for people. But in this situation, I think a lot of it was um, not understanding where we came from, from the start, like how we grew up was significantly different. How we saw relationships and marriages was very different. Yeah. Do you think in hindsight, examining the relationship, like I know you have for mm-hmm. a long time, is it something or are the issues that he had something that could have been fixed or remedied? Or do you think that they were inherent to how he viewed relationships and that he would carry that forward to a future relationship? So we did marriage counseling as well. And I'm a huge fan of counseling and therapy. I encourage everyone to experience it when they need it. Um, And it was only after that where I realized he wasn't going to change and that it was an inherent thing because Mm -hmm. there is a point where people can show their ability to change and their willingness to change. And it doesn't take a lot of effort when it clicks. But yeah. in this situation, it wasn't going to. It was apparent that that's not something he was interested in? Or do you think it was wanting to change or willing to change and it just, there was a, a disconnect between what was the advice being given and how he was willing to adapt to yeah, it? Yeah, he was definitely willing to change and interested in changing, but there was a block in the communication where he didn't understand that his actions weren't what I needed, that his words weren't what I needed. And I you know, even with a therapist, even now in hindsight with the coaching experience that I've had, um, I, there's just that you're not going to be compatible with everybody. And uh, it was like talking to a brick wall. Yeah. And yeah. both sides are fighting to, and both sides are trying, yeah. but there's just no way. Yeah. So sorry, I wanted to go back to the, the question um, about marrying an Indian from India because, again, not a blanket statement, but I got to tell you, Varsha, I would say 80% of my girlfriends that have 
married and Indian outside of the U.S. Mm-hmm. have all had problems. And I know, again, it's not everyone. Yeah. It feels like a common theme. I've seen that theme a lot. And yeah, th- what's interesting about the U.K. also is that they're – Indian culture has been around for so much more time than here in the States that it is like a little India. And so they're not, uh, and, and I I don't like to call America a melting pot because I really do believe people should be able to live in their small communities as they wish. Um, so it's good that that is there, but that second, third, fourth generation is just way different. So I'm glad you said that because we've had, I've had many discussions uh, about this with different friends and it's hard to describe that, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but there is that difference no matter what kind of socioeconomic background they grew up in. Even with friends and family members, it doesn't even have to be in romantic relationships. It's really hard to break a certain barrier with people who are not from here. Uh, Like family and friends from India versus family and friends who grew up like me here. It's just there's always this wall and it's really hard to break. And even though both sides want to get along really well. Yeah, and and we do generally. But like Mm -hmm. I got to say, you know, I was in India for three years and I absolutely loved it. I did. No no question. But when we left India, the, the good friends that I am still in touch with eight years later are Indian Americans. Mm-hmm. There's much more commonality yeah. there, I think. It's just I wasn't able to break that those barriers with friends from there mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Anyway, yeah. just, I just find that a whole very interesting, which is another podcast idea, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so then skipping forward, you were committed to this idea of, okay, I'm going to make this decision. How did you break that news to family uh, well, because I was physically there, <laughs> yeah. they, uh, you know, I, I said I put my foot down no matter how many times he showed up at my parents' house to kind of like win me back or whatever you want to call it. Um, I just said no. And my parents were super supportive, even though I think they were really scared. They'd never experienced this. though. So we'd seen it before and other family members, nobody knows the depth of what goes on, you know, behind closed doors. And um, they were they were really, really supportive. And just heard me out and uh, asked me questions to make sure that I was sure and encouraged therapy and that kind of thing too. So look, I mean, I give you props for going to therapy and trying and three years, you know, that's a solid amount of time. And yeah. So... I mean, I've seen, you know, we didn't have children. Um, I've seen, you know, Indian women and, and men break up even with kids and with longer relationships. And there are definitely more challenges with that. But Three years, I felt at that age was a solid. This yeah. isn't going anywhere. I mean, you you tried. So so, how about your ex? How did he deal with it, and how was his family's reaction? I mean, so awkward to talk about actually. Now that I, I we don't have talked to. about it in so much totally. No, don't I don't mind. To. His parents okay. loved me. I loved his parents. They happened to be living with us at the time, visiting from India, and um, you know, part of the toughest thing was uh, saying goodbye to them and knowing that like. I mean, you, you, you learn in Indian families that this is your family now and you treat them like your parents and you try to give them respect like your parents and they respect, respected me back like a daughter. I mean, it was not bad in any way. And so they were also just kind of like, you know, what can we do to make this work for you guys? You know, even family like in India was just really supportive of me and kind of blaming him a lot which was another red flag for me, kind of like, okay, they're even seeing that his personality isn't right for me. That's great, though. That's amazing that you had support from his side as well, because that's not common either. No. So then this is obviously a very difficult time for you. 
what did you do? How did you, how did you kind of get back to yourself? What were your steps? Well, I worked. Um, we had a business together that my parents helped me sort of buy out and own on my own. Uh, again, super blessed and thankful for that because that would have been a really big mess. We owned a house and we had to deal with that separating and stuff. So just kind of being like getting busy with the actual logistics of everything helped a lot. And the one thing that I always want to emphasize to uh, you know, South Asians is the open communication, like dealing with uh, the family, the society, the parents, friend circle, like that whole, I mean, my grandparents, my extended grandparents, you know, that generation of people, like the best thing my parents did and encouraged me to do was just shoot out literally an email and make phone calls to the elders of the family to be like, hey, this is happening. We need your support. And that nipped the gossip in the bud. You're just like, look, this is the deal. Yeah. No, nothing to hide. This is happening. That's great. Yeah. And yeah. and it, they were supportive. I mean, we were so scared. And I'm sure people talked about whatever gossip behind our back and that was fine. But the core people that we needed to have support us did so. And I think if we had not kind of told people up front that this was happening, there would have just been rumors and embarrassment and all of that. I yeah. think that's a smart move for sure. Now, are you... So at your parents' house or did you decide to move out on your own? Or yeah, so you... I was at my parents' house until like because of the way that the Maryland courts were and all of that, I was working full-time at a law firm and had to pay, I guess, the equivalent of an alimony oh, uh, because Lord. of the way that we split <laughs> the house. It was, oh, it was so stressful. Oh, my God. Um, but after that, like six months or so, I moved out just so that I could have a life again. Well, so was there a moment that you can remember where you were just, it just hit you and you were just like, I feel free? Oh, yeah. It was actually the first uh Something had happened in the court and like either something was finalized or like the something had happened and we were like done with a big process in the in the court system and I felt free and we happened to be attending a wedding that weekend and it was like the first big event I had to go to by myself and where people knew what was up and I just remember being like screw it like this is who I am I'm now just going to enjoy life. That's amazing. Yeah, it felt good. <laughs> So Varsha, if I can ask, and this is this might be a good jumping off point for what ultimately led you to your career, but you talked about in the last segment about that wedding that you went to, that first kind of uh, moment where you felt free and unburdened. And you said um, every, everyone kind of knew what was happening. And was there something, I've read this elsewhere as well, somebody approached you. Was there a catalyst moment in this conversation you'd had with this other person that kind of led you to where you are now? Absolutely. Yeah. I was at a cocktail hour and people were coming up to me and seeing how I was doing. But one person in particular came up to me and um, had been married for 20 plus years and said to me, I wish I had done what you did when I was your age. And that moment is it just every time I even talk about it or blog about it or whatever, it really just puts a fire in me to make sure that women don't feel stuck. Uh, at any stage and that there is a life after divorce. There's a life after, um, you know, creating these like shaky cult cultural moments and breaking these stigmas. Um, so that is why I created this Knowing Lux program so that, you know, I could have a voice for myself, a voice for other women, and also 
uh, create a way for women to get out of bad situations. I'm surprised that she would even admit that. Like a, I know. an Indian. And woman we weren't even that close, you know? Yeah. So, like, that's amazing because I'm sure there are many women, South mm-hmm. Asian women, that feel the same way mm-hmm. that could never admit it. So, that, that is that what kind of sparked this idea of becoming a coach? It did. I didn't really know about the coaching world. Um, one of my friends that I used to work with in uh, the legal field had become a coach, a life coach out in California. And so I was following her and really liking the work that she was doing. And that is what kind of, when, when she was doing it from lawyer to coach, that transition that she made, I realized that that is a more impactful way to help people. And, uh, this was going to be my niche, this relationship coaching because, and dating, because there's a lot of taboo with uh, dating post-divorce and the strength that you need to overcome that is part of what my program is all about. And, and so when you originally started this program, and we'll, I want to get into the details of that, mm-hmm. were you purposely trying to focus on South Asians or were you, it was kind of just to women in general? Women in general, my clients right now are like 50-50, but I think South Asians just can resonate with my story a little more. So they do tend to flock. And some of the marketing that I've done has been in that South Asian spectrum. So I do tend to get a lot of South Asians. But I think the work that I do can apply to anybody. Yeah. And so when your clients come to you, do you talk to them about life after divorce and dating in your 30s? Are you, are you open with them about your own personal stories? I do. I try to bring up as many uh, crazy or embarrassing stories as possible so that they know that I, I do understand where they're coming from. Most of the women I talk to actually are not divorced. They are just young, in their 30s, career-minded women who are either jaded or frustrated or confused about like why everything works for them and other aspects of their life, but nothing is working with dating. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Cause I, I honestly assumed a lot of your clients would be either going through the process or have gone through it before. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about it is that divorced women sometimes do not allow themselves the luxury of dating until maybe their kids are in high school. So a lot of the clients that I have, that are divorced uh, or that I've had in the past are in their 50s. And they're just learning how to date again online and, you know, connecting with people in this new modern era. Yeah. Yeah. Are you seeing um, a lot of 30-something single women now? Yes. That are just career-focused and do you find them stressed out about getting married or more wondering why they don't care about it? It's both. (laughs) Okay. It's both. Um, most of the women do care about it. Some of them don't admit that they do. Um, most of them handled it all. Like they handled dating and relationships while they were just killing it at work and school. And now all of a sudden are, are wanting to like settle down, but don't know how to. And it is, I would say, yeah, everybody I work with is in their thirties or, or older. Yeah. So let's talk about knowing Lux the program. Mm -hmm. First, I'd love to know where the name came from. And then just kind of more about what the program has to offer. So knowing Lux, um, you know, I've just, it just kind of came to me randomly, but the word Lux, L-U-X-E, stands for Life Unleashed by an Exceptional Existence. It's kind of long-winded, but 
I really truly believe that people can find this exceptional existence, this luxury in their life, and that it's right in front of them. And by living in a way that boosts the ideal person that you can be, you can attain whatever it is, you can get whatever it is that you want. The actual coaching program for dating and relationships is what I offer. It's called Lux in Love. And it is either a six week program or a 12 week program that walks through everything from, you know, what it is that you want, what your goals are for dating or, or in your relationship, um, how you're going about socializing and dating maybe online, your confidence, your feminine energy, because I do only work with women. Okay. I was, um, was going to ask you if any men come to you. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the program includes things like, you know, figuring out your style of dating, who you are, how you're communicating, and, uh, you know, maybe why you haven't had success in the past and talking about how to adjust what you're doing so that you are presenting the right uh, version of yourself out there. Uh, and then talking about, you know, if you've been through heartache and how that might be affecting you. Um, and what's really cool when you treat this as a work in progress and like a program itself, there's workbooks and worksheets and reviewing processes that allow you to really go back to this even after the program's done. Yeah. So then the curriculum for Knowing Lux, was it something, how long was that development stage? And was it just from analyzing your growing up, your dating habits, or were you, because at this, I mean, around this time, you're still, you're still dating yourself. Mm -hmm. And so you, you were having to have this analysis of, okay, what am I doing? And how can I present that to somebody else? If eventually this is going to be part of the program. So kind of yeah. what was that step? And then how do you know what is, what leads to success? And then how to coach somebody for success when you, because you eventually did get remarried, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the program itself, I started uh, over three years ago. I started formulating, you know, how did I get back to dating happily and finding these great guys? And my goal in a program is to allow women to uh, date, sometimes date multiple people um, in a respectful and, um, you know, meaningful way where they're, you know, allowing themselves to, you know, keep the self-respect that they want for themselves. But having quality relationships where at the end of the day, they can say, okay, this is actually the guy that I want to pursue because he is the right one for me for whatever reason we click and um, get understand each other. But the program, when I designed it, it's, it's going to constantly be evolving. I don't think it'll ever be stagnant just because dating, the dating world is changing. Uh, people change, I change. Um, but I did base it off of my personal experiences. I also have experience from the legal world in mediations, which, you know, studying communication and things like that has allowed me to incorporate some of that stuff as well. And when I was happily dating and when I met my current husband, something just clicked and I wanted people to feel this happiness and know that this type of relationship can exist, uh, that connectivity, the understanding and the, the passion, all of that stuff can exist in your life. Um, so that's sort of how I brought it all together. Was his, if you don't mind me asking, was his story similar to yours? Had he gone through things like that or was his story completely different before you two met? It was actually 
totally different. He was, uh, you know, my husband is more introverted. He's uh, was never married before, uh, dated a little bit, um, but never in a super, like maybe one really serious relationship where it almost led to marriage. And uh, that was it. I mean, we just happened to meet at the right time. Right place, right time. Were, yeah. you, ever, were you ever worried that the stigma of divorce would um, prevent you from meeting someone? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that looms over you, especially I felt like I was just never going to meet a South Asian. My husband now is, is happens to be South Asian. I was never like close to meeting anyone else, but I didn't assume that an Indian guy would be game unless he was also maybe divorced or something like that, you know? And I do remember a lot of friends and family not openly saying it to me, but kind of you hear through the grapevine behind your back that they say like, oh, I'd love to introduce you to this person, but they're divorced, you know? And so- But they have kids. Yeah, but the, the, the but yep. she's divorced yep. kind of thing yeah. happens. And, you know, that puts a damper on things. You know what? I mean, I've been, mar- I'm, I've been married now for nine years, but I feel like people that have gone through this, have gone through divorce- make better partners in a way because you know you kind of learn you went through an education mm-hmm. and yeah uh, and you want to make sure if it happens in you know, the marriage happens again you know it happens the right way yeah in fact my um you know my husband and I talked about it at a certain stage in our relationship where it just seemed right and then when it came time to getting serious and telling his parents um, that I was divorced. Uh, we felt that it was necessary to tell them. And his dad's response was exactly that. Yeah. That, you know, he already liked me. I think they met me before they knew I was divorced. So they already liked me and understood that I was a, you know, a loving, you know, open person. And when they found out that I was divorced, he said, well, she has experience and yeah. that she will <laughs> probably has learned some lessons. And I yeah. think that's absolutely right. I always think back to the therapy that I went through. Like marriage therapy is awesome. Like it yeah. teaches you so much for any relationship. I feel like everyone should go, whether mm-hmm. you're having problems, whatever it is. Just yeah. I think it's a healthy thing to do for sure. And it can be fun too. The stuff yeah. they put you through, I mean, it's great. Yeah. No, for sure. I've always... I want to do it with my husband. I think it's just healthy now because we have two kids and we just text each other all day. I don't even talk to him. <laughs> so yeah. Like, and there are programs that don't have to be about like hardship. There are counseling and therapy type things that you can do. Uh, you have to seek them out in your community, but yeah. that, that are more about like fun and, and relationship building. Yeah, no, yeah. totally. So I guess what would you say, because South Asians in therapy, right? Like they don't, there's a, not a taboo, but they're like, no, it's just BS and we don't need it. Like, what would you say to those people that, that don't believe in therapy or I would coaching? Say, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, all I can say is that I encourage it Yeah, and that you should try it. If people are closed-minded to it, there's very little that's going to change their mind. And I, I think in the self-discovery that it takes to be okay with that is an, is something that the individual has to work on themselves. Yeah. And what's different between therapy and coaching is something I like to talk about as well. And that is that when people come to a coach, they're ready to make changes. They're ready to have the accountability partner. And so they're usually game for things like therapy or, um, you know, that mindfulness and personal growth. Yeah. If you're not, then you're not going to be ready for a coaching yeah. program anyways. And so Nazar, um, you had a great uh, question about successes and how do you measure that? Like, how would you measure your successes with your clients and, and their takeaways from your program? 
Uh, happiness factor. Um, the number one thing, I mean, I love to say, yes, people do end up finding great relationships and, you know, dating a lot more than they were when they, before they started. But the key for me is when a woman says, I have the confidence to know that it is not me that is causing the lack of dates or the lack of finding the right guy, that it's just circumstantial or that it's about uh, a communication style. It's not that I have anything wrong with me. And to me, that is success. Confidence is key, right? Mm -hmm. Ami, you talked about, you know, maybe wanting to start uh, coaching yourself or just therapy or I'm, I'm trying not to use that interchangeably. Um, but have you and your husband, Parth, have you ever done any kind of uh, coaching in the past or anything like no, that? No, we haven't. And I mean, we're open to it because, you know, we're not perfect. Why not? I will say, so me, I've been married. We've been married for 14, going on 15 months now. I'm still in that newlywed phase with my wife. Uh, we have gone to uh, therapy a, a few times to talk about some issues that we've had, and they mainly stem from our relationships with parents and the the effect that having our parents and that understanding that our culture very much likes to have inclusive relationships with both sides of the family we we had a lot of stress from even right before we we got married with uh, some things that happened with my family and so that carried forward to through the wedding and uh, for months afterwards and it was a it was there was contention because of it and so some of the things that we dealt with and talked about were how to even just bringing up the topic of maybe my parents was sometimes a trigger to her. And so one of the things that helped us is just how to bring up something to one another. Some of the things were so elementary, some of the uh, the advice that we were given. And what's funny is that those elementary advice and suggestions was ultimately the most helpful. So are there, whenever they enter coaching, like what are some of those tips and tricks that you give just early on, basic things that you think can go a long way? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is to always think about what you will gain from the ideal situation. So if you are trying to communicate something to your husband or wife, or if you are trying to achieve a goal together, what is that end result and how is that going to improve your life? And focusing on that improvement rather than the journey that might be a little bit uh, bumpy can help kind of see the, you know, that clear picture that you see for down the road will always be better than worrying about the little baby steps along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I encourage people to do, and this is, some people think it's archaic, I think it's still very applicable, is the love languages. Have you heard of this? Uh -uh. Uh, it's the five love languages. It's a book that uh, I think actually uh, the Christian church uses a lot in their marriage counseling. And it talks about how your perception of love can be very different than your the perception of love of your partner. And if you can um, understand how they are receiving love and how they are accepting love, you can give it to them in that way and ask them for your love language rather than theirs. So for example, uh, one of the love languages is giving gifts. One of the love languages is acts of service. So if I do something for my husband, he may not see that as um, me showing him love. But if I give him a gift, he might be like, oh, wow, she loves me so much. Whereas if somebody picks up my dry cleaning for me, 
that to me is love more so than buying me a pearl necklace or something like that. So you know? understanding the gestures. Is this a book because I'm going to buy yeah, it? Yeah, it's also a website where you can take a little quiz. It's called The Five Love Languages. And drop that in Bart's email box. Oh, it's so <laughs> nice. And you can actually take it with your partner. It's like a cool little quiz. It's like really short. And it's so funny because like that's so it's it is so that love language it sounds it does sound archaic but i think you're so right just thinking about it even after being with him for 12 years we we still are trying to figure it out you know like it it changes i read this book when i was running my own business and i used it as a tool for working with employees uh because sometimes somebody asks for a raise and you're you know you can't you can't afford it but if you can understand maybe the next level of what they need, that can be super, super helpful. Yeah. Mm. Um, something as simple as holding somebody's hand goes way further than, um, you know, just even talking to them or yeah. bringing them something or doing something. So I, I think as a starter, really learning your partner's love language and giving them what they need and asking for what you need and is that'll get you really far. Yeah. I'm so getting that. I'm like, part hold my damn hand. It's not that hard. <laughs> I honestly would rather him hold my hand than give me a gift. Like, I'm just thinking about it. Anyways. Yeah, and, and learning great... to communicate that to him and not making that seem like a burden. Like, a lot of women forget to ask for what they need. Yeah. Um, no, we're just, we're just okay passive aggressive that. and get mad and then don't talk for two days. So. It's, I mean, so like one of my love languages is actually gifts. The example yeah. I gave was not. Exactly me. So I sometimes have to say like, or actually the biggest one for me is words of affirmation. If I go downstairs after spending an hour to get ready and my husband doesn't say something, I get really annoyed, right? Yeah. But he thinks, why do I need to tell her that she's beautiful? She, she knows, knows I love her, I know. you know? Oh, it's the worst. I'm like, just <laughs> well, because, say something. So I can, give, I can give the other side of that. Uh-huh. Sometimes if, if, she gets, if she comes out and gets ready, I am almost hesitant and uh, scared to give input because it might come off as criticism because she isn't always prepared or even if she is ready to hear something and if it's not exactly what she wanted to I don't want her taking it the wrong way so as a guy giving input there is that little bit of hesitation so maybe I just need to figure out how to say it the right way for it to come off as words of uh, affirmation or perhaps words of affirmation are not what she needs maybe just a high five a gesture is what you're saying uh, yeah maybe yeah. A, a different <laughs> a different form yeah no, I, I joke just with the high five say she looks nice <laughs> no i get it nazar that makes sense i think just like I think the, the, the finger the guns you're like looking hot dude <laughs> yeah, yeah that might not help <laughs> Do you think like the South Asian community, the new generation is changing their point of view on dating and divorce and talking about it? Because I feel like the millennials and the and the younger generation may be more open to it. I'm not yeah. talking about it at least. Yeah, I mean India especially and I mean I guess you could say South Asians in general, like the cultural the culture there is always um evolving, but there's even within that um, development, there's always going to be the more traditional families and the more uh, modern families. So as for as long as immigrants are coming from that direction, there are going to be struggles for the first generation kids. But as more and more Indians live here and there's we're talking four or five generations in, yeah, it's going to definitely be more liberal, more understanding. Yeah, more open. And, and what's the biggest change you've seen in yourself since starting just the program? I listen better. <laughs> I love listening. I I hear such incredible stories of people who are strong and resilient and that 
teaches me a lot. Has, has Have any of those teaching moments that you've had with clients, have you incorporated things into your program based off of their answers or based off of their experiences at all? Like how, what, what are some of those things that you have changed the most or have you, has something gone 180 from the way you started before ever, like a, a certain point? Well, you know, I have this entrepreneurial spirit. So when I created this program, I was like, yes, this is going to work for everybody. Let me just apply it. Let's go. But now what I've done in the last year is I have little, I call them my spies. And I use like a college student, a woman in her, you know, 30s dating, um, a, a divorcee with kids and a woman in her 50s. And I, I pull information from them on a regular basis to kind of know what's happening in the dating world for these people. Because now that I'm married, I don't get exposure. So right. that's right. one way that I'm kind of learning from clients. What, what's, what's one thing that you've incorporated recently, let's say from each of those two spies? Yeah, learning about different dating apps for me. Yeah. Like there's just like a new one every day. Oh so, and, and the lingo. Yeah. Um, I often learn a lot about the lingo. When I hear about these apps, I get stressed out. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, like yeah. A lot of insanity here. <laughs> Okay, Varsha, this is our quick lightning round, uh, getting to know you. So uh, first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? Yes. All right. What is the one thing that you're trying to change about yourself? I'm an over planner. I'm trying to go with the flow a little bit more. Oh, I need to do that too. What is your favorite quote? Uh, help is just a handshake or a phone call away. Who is that mm. from? That's my own. <laughs> it's the whole, you, you have to ask for it in order to get it. It's the whole, you can't win yeah. the lottery if you don't buy a yes. ticket. Don't, don't yeah. assume it's exactly. coming to you for right. sure. Mm -hmm. What do you do to unwind? Binge watch something on Netflix. Ooh, what are you watching <laughs> right now? I am watching this, uh, Oh God, it's so embarrassing. It's like the Spanish cable girls. Oh, I saw that one. That looks good. <laughs> I'm also trying to like pretend that that's how I'm learning Spanish a little better, but I'm not. No, yeah, I it's, mean. It's just gossip. And By the way, guys, yeah. I watched uh, Hassan Minaj's uh, Patriot Act last night. Patriot Act stand Ooh. up. Yeah. yeah, it's really good. That's good. Okay. <laughs> Who would you absolutely love to collaborate with or work with or just hang out with? Yeah, kind of cliche, but I would love to work with Oprah. I think that a dating and relationship uh, spinoff of her shows would be great. Like a South, yeah. South Asian styles, that. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is a big topic so, for a lot of small cultures. Nazar, we're talking to the next Oprah right now, okay? Yes. You never know. Don't forget yes. us. <laughs> I can mail you a signature, like an awesome. autograph if you'd like. Awesome. I'll, I'll, I can be the Jai Lala. <laughs> uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Honestly, with all of the changes that I've been through already, I am so happy with what I'm doing right now. I just couldn't, I don't want to attempt anything else for, no, for a while. You don't want to do like professional skateboarding or anything like that? <laughs> no. <laughs> I've broken my foot quite a few times. I definitely can't do that. Awesome. <laughs> so if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You're just in time. It's happy hour. <laughs> nice. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Very nice. I mean, I just want heaven to be a big party. Yes, so. it will be. Oh, man. Thank you, Versha, so much for coming out to talk with us. Yeah, it was awesome. And um, yeah. Versha, is there anything you'd like to tell our audiences about uh, the program itself? Yes, definitely. Um, I do work with women only. And there is a link on my website that allows you to schedule a totally free, no obligation call with me and that really allows me to figure out whether 
the program is right for you. And what I love about the Lux and Love program is that I do tailor it to each individual person. So getting to know you better um, allows me to do that. Awesome. Wait, this is this is not my free call, is it? I can actually call you back, right? <laughs> you can call me, yes. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Yay, thank you, Versha. That was so much fun. Thank you both. And I really appreciate how open and honest you guys are as well. We try oh, to be. For sure. No, this is this is great. And trust me, with, with relationship troubles and, and dealing with some of the successes, like there is so much more to mine there. So Yeah, I mean, yeah. we cut, uh, we cut this to down that... to, to 25 questions. It could have been like 100, but you would have heard <laughs> I know. <laughs> How amazing was that? I am so happy that she reached out to us because this was meant to be. We've been meaning to do talk about this topic uh for a year now so i'd actually love to do even more follow-up with her later on because there's a lot of topics we didn't get too much into dating uh because it's constantly evolving with dating apps and things like that and she hinted at that in the talk but yeah thank you so much to uh mathur for coming out and remember you guys can check her out uh either on our website uh, knowinglux.com that's k-n-o-w-i-n-g-l-u-x-e.com and also our Insta is the same, at Knowing Lux. And, and take her up on that offer about if you are even considering having some kind of coaching or, or just want to talk about issues and get a, a, another point of view, uh, check her out on her website. She uh, sounds like she's definitely would love to help people. Yeah, out. I mean, she's super easy to talk to. Super, I was already comfortable mm-hmm. with her the first five minutes. So yeah. um, you could tell that she's someone you can just approach with no judgment. You know, yeah, and I think you're right. I think we can do like a follow, like a brown table talk with her, and maybe someone who's single that's you know dating right now that can kind of give yeah. their point of view. Someone who's going through a divorce right at now. this moment. I'm sure they would love to talk to us. <laughs> Jeez, I, mean, no. <laughs> uh, I don't know why we're laughing, <laughs> but yeah, I think that was that was great, and we can think about doing a brown t- table talk uh, maybe in a few months. And yeah. um, wait, people can follow us too, right? Of course, yeah. Check us out, Ami Tuckered out is our website uh, ami tuckered out at gmail.com if you want to send us some dating stories and of course on insta and all the socials at ami tuckered out a-m-i-t-u-c-k-e-r-e-d-o-u-t uh, you can also follow me at, at nizar babul n-i-z-a-r-b-a-b-u-l uh, you can enjoy uh, continuing working the next week into the working it to the bone yeah and uh we will be back in two weeks uh with another fabulous guest i can give you yeah. guys a small hint it has to do with a cup of tea. Uh, Ooh. Yeah. So I'm very excited. But thank you, Versha. Thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you guys in two weeks. And this is Ami Tuckered Out. Bye.